Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we continue with Our American Stories. And on this day in history, in 1975, the Edmund Fitzgerald sank. Most of us, by the way, know about this wreck because of the Gordon Lightfoot hit single, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. But this story is more than a mere song. Today, we're joined by Rick Mixter, who knows this story firsthand. He's been down to the wreck. Here's our own Monty Montgomery with his story. When we think of the word lake, we often think of a calm, placid, and small body of water. But the Great Lakes are anything but that. People underestimate them. You know, it literally, they think they're ponds. They think that they're, you know, they're, they're much smaller than the ocean. And the truth is that the Great Lakes span over a thousand miles. You know, Lake Superior is immense. And unfortunately, it has these jagged shoals that, uh, unlike the ocean, it's confined. So these shoals bounce waves back and forth, and these confused waves on the Great Lakes tend to uh, really mess with ships and, and make it very difficult to navigate in a storm. And the results of these confused seas have often been deadly. There's a huge argument on how many shipwrecks are on the Great Lakes because it's really hard to judge. This, most of the time we would put it to you know, insurance settlements. Let's look at Lloyd's of London or other places that paid out, but we don't know if they were recovered. If you said on the bottom, most people would probably throw out a number between 6,000 and 10,000 shipwrecks that are still on the bottom. But out of all these shipwrecks, there's one that has been etched into the collective consciousness of the people of the Great Lakes, the Edmund Fitzgerald. And there's a reason for that. Fitzgerald is famous for two words, Gordon Lightfoot. (laughs) It's literally a a wreck that I think would have been forgotten if not for a Canadian songwriter who took the story and turned it into a seven and a half minute song that went to number two on the charts. And once that happened, it became enamored not only by the people of the Great Lakes, it became their song, 
um, played every November. Every time you turn on the radio, somebody plays it at that time because of the gales of November and to remember the crew. Nobody argues that it's not Gordon Lightfoot. It is the largest shipwreck on the Great Lakes by a couple hundred feet. The Fitzgerald was 729 feet long and uh, lost with all hands, which was part of the mystery, I think, that captivated even Gordon Lightfoot. And uh, that's why it kind of became a story. How in 1975 could you have a 700-foot freighter with 29 men completely vanish? Fitzgerald was one of the last of the ships built in Michigan, which we used to have an amazing shipbuilding uh, prowess. We were number one on the Great Lakes for years, just a massive ship. I mean, it was the flagship for Columbia Transportation. So when it was launched, not only was she the biggest, but she was well appointed. She had the the best skipper, according to Columbia, uh, the best cook, because they would um, entertain many of the steel companies like National Steel's president or, you know, big wigs would come on board, bring their family along, and, uh, you know, it would have inside J.L. Hudson Company, the, the famous Hudson store, had all of the appointments inside. So your beds, all of the furniture, which had to be custom cut to fit the canner of the uh, floor of the Fitzgerald, which was, you know, slightly rounded. They had to cut the legs of the beds to fit correctly. So it, it was the flagship, it was the ship that everybody wanted to, to be assigned to, and it was certainly the ship that gave out many rides to people. It was also fast, they called it the Toledo Express because it made that run so quickly. And for the next 17 years, the Edmund Fitzgerald would continue to make that trip from Superior, Wisconsin to Detroit, laden with iron ore. And there was no reason to expect that on November 9th, 1975, her trip under the command of Captain Ernest McSorley would go any differently. It, it was a Sunday, and it was in Superior, Wisconsin on a beautiful day, and Jack McCarthy, the first mate, would be in charge of telling the guys, you know, all the loading, make sure that the ship was loaded evenly, and which they would go underneath a gravity-fed dock, and it would actually spill these round taconite pellets into the, the cargo hold which they took 26,000 tons. This is where Gordon Lightfoot was was wrong on a couple of accounts in his song. He said uh, fully loaded for Cleveland, but it wasn't fully loaded. It was less than uh, two-thirds loaded because she was actually going to River Rouge near the area to the Zug Island. And in order to get into that slip, she couldn't carry all of her cargo because she would hit bottom in the Detroit River. So not fully loaded, not going to Cleveland, actually going into the Detroit area with a a load of iron ore that would eventually become automobiles. And they take off into a beautiful day. And as they do, McSorley in the pilot house actually sees that a big storm is coming up. He's got a, a radio that he can get reports through and he's a weather ship. So he takes his observations and adds them to the weather reports to help forecasters try to develop where the storm's gonna go. And it's quickly ascertained that that he's going to get a storm that's going to come right through from Oklahoma all the way up to Marquette. And so he starts to calculate how long that would take and, and uses the forecast that he's getting given as well and has to determine what he's going to do. But McSorley was a well-seasoned captain. And the coming storm likely didn't phase him too much, despite some of the reservations he may have had on the ship. McSorley had been a a skipper that had been on the Great Lakes for years and years and worked his way up to the Edmund Fitzgerald. He was very stern from the people that I talked to, um, very matter-of-fact guy. As we talked uh, to a a third mate in my documentary called The Fitzgerald Investigations, 
He remembered going through a Lake Superior storm with just 10-foot waves where the Fitzgerald would flex so crazily, unlike any ship he had been on. And he looked at McSorley and he said, uh, man, it, it, should it be bending like this? And McSorley said, um, sometimes it scares me. So literally, he knew that this ship was, was different than other ships. He knew that it, it would um, flex in these storms. But because as a part-time job, he did hull inspection, he was very well versed in the strength of these ships. And he unfortunately pushed the Fitzgerald way beyond its means. As I did the investigation documentary, I found the Coast Guard looked into it. They looked at 10 years at the Sioux Locks, the worst storms that ever happened up until 1975. And the one ship that kept pushing every storm and made it through the locks during those gales was the Edmund Fitzgerald. So he was a rough weather skipper. He pushed the heck out of the ship and it eventually broke because of it. So the Fitzgerald pushed forward and soon they would get company to ride out the storm with in the form of the Arthur M. Anderson, another Laker captained by Bernie Cooper. And Cooper also is a, you know, these guys are experienced meteorologists. They have to be, their lives depend on it. And they start to, to figure out when the storm will come and what they're going to do. As they pass Isle Royal, they've got a place that they can hide there from these northwest winds that are starting to build. They continue going, but they take the northern route. The northern route goes closer to Canada. Uh, jokingly, some of the sailors call that the scenic route because otherwise you might not ever see land as you go around the Keweenaw would be the last spot as you make that long haul past Marquette and make your way to the Sioux Locks and uh, Whitefish Bay. But uh, as they're going up, they, they go all the way past Otterhead in a second spot that they could throw out their anchor. Because it's so close to the Canadian shore, the waves can't build there. So you're pretty safe. You could wait it out. But they didn't. They decided they were going to make it for Whitefish Bay. They thought that the storm would take an extra hour to get to them, and they were wrong. As they got past uh, Caribou, it was the worst the storm could be, and they were in the absolute worst place they should be on Lake Superior, where those winds now could build the entire length of the lake and crash into the ship and crash into them in the stern and on their starboard side. So if they had any problems at all, they were gonna get into real trouble there. And that's what happened to Fitzgerald. And you're listening to Rick Mixter tell the story of the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. As he put it, how in 1975 could you have a 729-foot freighter completely vanish? The answer to that question, you'll hear it after these messages here on Our American Stories. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. 
and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we continue with Our American Stories and our story on the Edmund Fitzgerald, which was sunk on this day in history in 1975. When we last left off, the Fitzgerald was sailing into the worst storm on Lake Superior alongside another ship, the Arthur M. Anderson. Let's return to Rick Mixter with the rest of the story. As the Fitz is going past Caribou, it realizes it has some kind of problem. They look down the deck and they could see that at least one of their vents was missing. These look like mushrooms that are on the deck, and they're very large, and they're used to equalize the pressure below decks. But of course, Fitz has two-thirds of a cargo in there. Well, as he noticed that one of those is missing, he also uh, finds out from his uh, engineers that he's taking on water. So they're running their pumps to try to keep that water out. He also mentioned something really unique. He says, our fence rail is down. And that has been interpreted in a couple of different ways. The fence rail could be the guide rails that are on the side of the ship, that perhaps some piece of debris came on, smashed its vent off, and also damaged that part of the rail. So he's radioing back and forth to the Anderson that he's got these problems, and then all of a sudden mentions his radars are out. And he was worried because the... uh, McSorley had noticed that out of Whitefish Bay there were several saltwater ships and including a, a big freighter called the William Clay Ford um, and another one that were trying to get out of Whitefish Bay and he worried he'd get into a collision situation in the blinding snow that was happening. So he asked the Anderson to keep an eye out for them because his radars were out. So he's going blindly into this storm. The uh, Anderson is now trying to close the distance because the Fitzgerald, being a faster boat, was a mile or several miles ahead of them. The last broadcast came from Morgan Clark, the first mate on board the Anderson, who asked the Fitzgerald, how are you making out with your problems? And the Fitzgerald McSorley answered back, 
we are holding our own. And uh, unfortunately, in a blinding snow squall, the uh, Fitzgerald disappears. It disappears from radar because the, uh, the, the blinding snow also blinded the radar out. When it finally clears, Anderson can't see the Fitzgerald, and now their job is trying to notify the Coast Guard that a 729-foot freighter is missing. Nobody wanted to believe that the Fitzgerald was gone, especially the Coast Guard. As, and we're very lucky that um, immediately the Coast Guard started recording all of these conversations. So we actually have the conversations as the, the Cooper is trying to tell the Coast Guard that they have um, missed the Fitzgerald. So here the Anderson is now making the safety of Whitefish Bay after uh, now 29 guys have been lost. A massive steel modern freighter has been lost to the storm and they call the Coast Guard who tells them we don't have a ship that can go out there. So the Coast Guard has to convince the captain of the Anderson that just witnessed this freighter sinking to turn around, come out of the safety of Whitefish Bay and go back into that killer storm. And he definitely did not want to do that. Right from the, the radio broadcast, we hear Cooper say, you know, there's gonna be two of us on the bottom. You know, he really believed going back out there was, was gonna be, you know, a, a bad mistake, but he knew he was the only choice. So they went back out there. You know, at that time it was 60 mile an hour winds it was going to take him two hours to go 17 miles with those intense winds that blowing right against them. And I don't think they believed that anybody would survive it. You know, with big 30-foot waves and water temperatures that were just above freezing, there really wasn't much chance. And unfortunately, it was a futile attempt. But I think that that was the spirit of the lakes. You do what you can. Uh, first, save, make, sure, make sure your crew is going to survive it. And then, you know, if you can safely do it, you go out there and make the rescue. And, and he did to the truest tradition of sailors, you know, try to find those guys. But unfortunately, you know, as we know, nobody survived and no bodies were found. Then came the task of actually finding the final resting place of the Fitzgerald on the bottom of Lake Superior. It didn't take them very long, so they used this robot called the Curve 3 to um, not only find it, but to secure it. The Curve 3 came out, and they flew that down to 550 feet. And as they saw the bow, they noticed it was upright, but as they went around the, the, uh, the stern section, which was broken uh, over 100 feet away, they noticed that the lettering was upside down, and the Coast Guard investigators immediately thought the ROV, or the robot, was inverted. And they, the, the uh, pilot said, no, it's not. This is, this is the back section, 200 feet of the Edmund Fitzgerald that was upside down. So the horrible act of it tearing apart somewhere in the, the water column actually flipped the entire stern upside down. And the bow section is resting proudly upright on the bottom where you can actually see every deck in the pilot house as well. And there the Fitzgerald sat, a gravesite for her 29 crew none of which were ever recovered. Immediately, there were questions on why this modern lake freighter sank, and these questions still brew today. Did she hit bottom? Did she get hit by a rogue wave? Or did her hatch covers cave in? 
Answers were hard to find as the wreck site was soon protected by the Canadian government at the request of the families of the victims. So very few people have actually seen the wreck. But in 1994, Rick did. In 94, we took the uh, submersible Delta, which had been famous for diving the Lusitania. And uh, we went down in this two-man yellow submarine, and uh, I was the third dive on the uh, Delta expedition. When you dive a shipwreck, you get down to it, and if you're free diving it or you're doing it on scuba um, equipment where you don't have a submarine around you, you can actually go up to it and touch it. You know, the cold steel and the immense size of these vessels is what really becomes um, apparent to you. The Fitzgerald was surreal in the fact that I was down 500 feet. The light stopped at about 250, so it's pitch black beyond you know, whatever you have on board your submarine, which we had lots of lights. So it becomes very surreal. As you look through the porthole, you can see glimpses of the ship, but not the whole ship at the same time. So as we went past the name, the letters are, you know, over a foot and a half tall. I'm trying to remember exactly how big they were, but that's what first captured my, my, my mind was it said Edmund Fitzgerald, and it was horribly torn up on the port side. So the collision with the bottom had just ripped apart the spar deck from the side of the ship and the name had been scratched up and beat up so badly that it, it, it took my breath away. And as we went around the bow and to see the bow was actually bent almost 90 degrees, the, the force of the storm was just incredible. And then the tiny details, as you'd see a, a blanket hanging out of the pilot house, or you go up to the top and you'd see the, the radars that were you know Panasonic on top. The, the, it's a plastic, like just a little sliver of plastic ripped off and the wires were just there. So you, you start to piece together the story from that. Each one of those pieces not only awed me, but you know you, you were just so excited to see this great shipwreck. And then when I came up, we actually had uh, power left in the submarine. And so it was decided that the owner of the tugboat, who we were renting from, would, uh, would actually get to take his son down there for a, a look. And we were eating lunch, and we got a, a report from the submarine through the sonophone, the sound waves from the, it's like a radio that goes through water. And uh, we found out that they found a missing crewman. So we went from this incredible high of me just visiting the most famous shipwreck on the Great Lakes, the largest shipwreck on the Great Lakes at 550 feet down, to a horrible low of, oh my God, there are 29 people that were lost there. You lose that connection. I think because you're in the sub and you're safe. When you're diving, it's really apparent that that these shipwrecks are, you know, this is a, a final grave because you have this water around you and you've got to be so careful when you're scuba diving to do that. I never lost that connection. But I think I did on the Fitzgerald because I felt so protected in the submarine. But that immediately was erased when they found a first missing crewman, a body lying off of the bow of the shipwreck wearing a life jacket. There's nothing more sobering than that. And instantly we were transported back to this is a grave site. The day after the wreck, the Mariner's Church in Detroit rang its bell 29 times for each of the crewmen lost. And this ceremony continues in Michigan today with the ship's actual bell. 
raised in 1995 and kept at Whitefish Point. But for the families of those lost on November 10th, 1975, the Edmund Fitzgerald is more than just a song. It's a tragedy that will always be remembered. For Our American Stories, I'm Monty Montgomery. And great job, as always, to Monty Montgomery. A terrific job producing that piece. And a real special thanks to Rick Mixter. The story of the Edmund Fitzgerald here on Our American Stories. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.